If you would, please turn to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to begin a new series of sermons from the book of 1 John. You know, I don't know if you are aware, you know, John, John's written uh, both 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, book of Revelation, but he's also written a gospel called John. So uh, next, next to Paul, he, he has more books out than, than, than anybody. But I have a question for you, uh, who has the most, the most writing in the New Testament? What, what, what author has more pages filled up than anybody else? Luke. If you take the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, there is more pages than all of Paul's writings or anybody else's writing. But Luke uh, has written, has written the, the, the most material in the New Testament. It's only two books, but they're both pretty big books. Okay, 1 John. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Shall we pray together? Father, we, we, we honor and, and praise you today. Father, we thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, that he was sent into this world by your pre, preordained plan and purpose and by your counsel. That he came, Father, to rescue and to save all of us who've been, who are perishing. Father, we are all destined for hell. But Lord, you in, 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 your, in your sovereign will... Have, have determined and chosen to rescue us from sin and from Satan and from death itself. We just bless you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. So why was 1 John written? John wrote to these churches. Now, we would look at it, if you were to look at a, at a, at a geographical map today, what, what we understand to be the, the, the country of Turkey today. Is where, is where John had uh, a charge over these churches. He was, uh, was kind of like the shepherd of these churches and, and watch care over these churches. But one church in particular uh, in that region, the, that area back there was called Galatia. Today it's called Turkey. Uh, but the one place that was his headquarter church was Ephesus. So John spent most of his life uh, after, after the crucifixion of Christ, he spent most of his time headquartered at Ephesus, uh, which, we were, which we would call Turkey today, the, in, the, in the country of Turkey. But it was, it was a city within the country of the region of Galatia back then. During the period of time that he was at Ephesus, 
a, a system of, of, of heretical, heretical teaching came along and made its way into the church. That is, when, when the church allows false teaching to happen in the church, people are led astray by it, and they begin to believe. They think that that's, that's true. You know, there are, there are people today that, uh, is, believe it or not, there are people today that think that it is in the Bible that says that, uh, that, that we're to pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps. You know, uh, there's, there's people today that think that it is in a Bible that, uh, that we're supposed to uh, uh, act in a certain way or do certain things or, or, or the commandments teach us this or that or the other. And, and folks, that can be the furthest from the truth. If you do not know the Word of God and you just speak up and say something, you say, well, that's in the Bible. I was watching, uh, what was the name? Everybody Loves Raymond. I was watching that show one day, and, and Raymond made some stupid remark. And he says, he says, Deborah, it's in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. You know, uh, be careful when you say something is in the Bible because there are people that tend to believe these things. So when, when a heretical teaching comes along, when a heretical teaching comes along and we preach it and teach it in the church and all of a sudden people begin to believe it, then the, then the church, instead of being built up and coming to maturity and faith in Jesus Christ, what happens to those people? They begin to believe a lie. When you begin to believe a lie, you begin to act like you believe that lie. When you begin to act like you believe that lie, listen, we separate ourselves then from God and we separate ourselves from God's Word, and we separate ourselves, listen, we separate ourselves from one another in fellowship because one person believes this, and one person believes that over here. So the church becomes divided, and the only person who wins in this is the devil. So be careful when you say, well, that is in the Bible. Uh, let's, let's look at what some of this heretical teaching was. Uh, by the way, the this, this writing of 1 John, John writes this to, to counter this heretical teaching. And those who held these, this, uh, this heretical teaching were called the Gnostics. G-N-O-S-T-I-C, Gnostic. The Gnostics. And uh, one of the leaders of the, of, of the Gnostics or Gnosticism was a guy by the name of Serinthus. And, and he, was, he was kind of the leader of this group. Uh, that is not in the Bible. I'm just telling you, this is, this is history, I'm telling you. Okay. But a main, a main feature, a main feature of, of this heretical belief of Gnosticism was the, they, they incorporated Christian belief, Greek mythology, and Oriental philosophy. So they put all this together, and they scrambled it up. So it is no longer Christianity, it becomes a cult. It becomes a heretical teaching. And so the, the, the church, the church in those churches in Galatia, those churches in modern day Turkey that were churches 2,000 years ago, they were being deluded with this thinking. Here are some of the beliefs that they had, just so that you understand that if we were to teach this stuff in church, you would throw that pastor out. But let me tell you what they believed. Number one, that Jesus, that Jesus, not Jesus Christ, but Jesus was the physical son of Joseph and Mary. Two, that Christ who is from heaven united with the human Jesus at the time of Jesus' baptism. Three, 
that the deity Christ, the, the Christ of glory, the Christ in heaven, left the, uh, left the human Jesus. He left the human Jesus sometime prior to the crucifixion and death of Jesus. And number four, the world was not created by, by God, but by some other power or force. Then there's other things that they believe. But listen to what they're saying. If somebody taught you that today in church, what would you do? I'm telling you, if that was your pastor teaching you that, that should be his last sermon. If anybody teaches that in Sunday school or teaches that in a discipleship class, if they teach any of those things, they should be removed. It is time that church discipline takes place. When people start teaching false doctrine, get rid of them from corrupting your people. Jesus tells Peter, Jesus tells Peter in John 21, he says, listen, Peter, I want you to feed and tend and shepherd and protect and care for my sheep. There's a responsibility, if a person is a preacher or a teacher, there's a responsibility that what you preach and what you teach needs to be in accord and, and, and aligned with the Word of God. Get rid of them. They will, they will destroy the church of Jesus Christ. So then, I want you, knowing all of this then, that there's this, there's this false teaching that that was started. So, so John writes this epistle with the focus of his writing being that Jesus is the God-man. He wants people to, in the gospel, he wants, he wants the people to know that Jesus is God. But in his epistle, in 1 John, he wants the people to know that Jesus Christ is the God-man. That he is God who's become flesh. The Gnostics refused to accept that there is or was the, the incarnation. That is the fact that God became man. John wrote his gospel to show that Jesus is God. He wrote his epistle to show that Jesus is man. He became man. So then, let's look at our text for today then. In verse 1, John begins with these words. What was from the beginning... Now, remember I told you, I says, be careful what people tell you that this is what the Bible says. You know, believe it or not, the Greeks also used grammar. <laughs> Just like we have English grammar, well, they had Greek grammar. And the Bible says right here, what was from the beginning? Now, you've probably noticed that there is something oddly different in this opening phrase, don't you? It reads, what but you might suppose or think that it should read who. But the Greek is not wrong. It is what. Not who, but what. The word what is in the neuter gender. There's masculine, feminine, and neuter. And the word what is neither masculine nor feminine. It is neuter. So if it's neuter in the Greek, it's neuter in the English as well. Therefore, it is not speaking of the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 1 is not speaking of the person of Jesus Christ. It's not who was from the beginning. It is what was from the beginning. But rather, it's speaking of those things that are associated with the person of Jesus Christ. It's about him. It's not him. It's not him. 
It's about him, but not him as a person. It's about him. What? It's things that he did and things that they experienced. So what is the proper term? We need to, at this point, give special care to look at the, there, there are four what clauses. There are four, four what, the relative clauses. They relate to the person of Jesus Christ, but they're not Jesus Christ, but they relate to him. John writes in verse 1, what we heard, what we have seen, what we have looked at. Now, those are two different things about what we've seen, what we looked at. In the Greek, there's two different words for that. And what we have touched. So, you remember I told you that in weeks past that we, we do not approach God with empirical evidence. Like, you know, say, well, I've got to see, taste, hear, smell, touch, whatever. That, those are all empirical evidences of something. You know, we, we look, I want, you know, it's in the Bible. If I don't see it, I won't believe it, right? <laughs> it's not in the Bible. You know, uh, People want empirical evidence that there's a God. Have you ever seen God? Have you ever touched Him? Have you ever smelled Him? Have you ever looked at Him? Have you ever heard Him really speak to you? If, you, if you've had those experiences, I want to see you. <laughs> uh, God is a spirit. God's spirit, isn't He? Jesus, Father, the Father's a spirit. Now, let's look at this. What we have, he says, first of all, what we have heard. That is what they heard over and over and over again. When he, he's, he's speaking about Jesus, but what we heard him, he, we heard him over and over and over and over again. What we heard, they heard the, vo- the voice of Jesus speaking to them. They heard him with the audible ear. What we heard, what we, we heard him speak. This is what we heard. They heard Christ speak and it left a deep impact in their lives. Then he says, what we have seen. There there are three Greek words for seen or to see. There's the Greek word blepo. We use that at home. When, when, when one of the grandkids is in trouble, we say blepo. But blepo means to see in the Greek, just simply means to see. There's the word harao. And it means to look at with understanding or perception. That you, you look at something and you analyze it. You get perception. And there's another Greek word. It's called theorio. Not the Oreo cookie, but theorio. It, 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 it's to look at something with interest. The word see. So there's three Greek words for see. So the word for what we have seen here is the, is the, uh, that John uses is the word harao. That means to see with understanding and perception. What we've seen, we, we, we understood. God gave us perception, understanding. He, then he says, what we have looked at. What we've seen, nice is what we looked at. There's another Greek word here, to see. The word used to hear for looked at is the Greek word, Theorio, theorio. It is used in our English language in the word theater. Theorio, theater in English. It means that we look at something as if it were a spectacle, or we, we look at it in, in amazement. And we, you know, you, you go to the IMAX theater, and it's this huge, huge, huge screen. 
And you look at it and it says, wow. And you look at these things. You know, you ever been to that and you get dizzy? Go, oh, my goodness. You know, uh, but you look at something with amazement. It's a spectacle. And that's, that's the word that's used here. They looked at Jesus and said, wow, did you see did you see that? The guy was dead and Jesus brought him back to life again. What we looked at, we've seen him do these miracles. And they says, what we have touched. The word that is used here in the Greek is salafeo. It means to handle, to touch, to examine something, to cling to something. Jesus in Luke chapter 24 and verse 39 says, See my hands, touch my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. Touch me and see. He's not saying if you touch me, you're going to be able to see, but touch me and what? You have this understanding, this belief. There is one other thing that we should look at in John's opening verses. Do you know, there are four verses I just read. The first three of them are just one sentence. One sentence. We normally don't make sentences that long, but this is just one sentence. So ask yourself, we're just looking at grammar right now. We need to have an under... This is, this is his prologue. This is the beginning of this epistle. So we need to understand, what is the verb of this sentence? You know, when I, when I was a kid in, in, in grade school, I went to a Catholic school. I was my first, so in fact, I was 25 years old and I was converted out of Catholicism. But I, was, I attended Catholic school for my first several years of schooling. And uh, I can remember they would teach us to do diagrams. You remember something? You had to do diagrams. You had to do with the nouns and the verbs and the adjectives and adverbs and all that. Word, and you'd, you'd go dizzy with that and say, you know, I can't wait till this class is over. I'm going to go outside and play football or something like that. And I'll get out of this class. You know, it seemed like every class was like that, though. I, you know, I, I hated school until I got done with seminary, and then I liked it. <laughs> but anyway, but you'd go and you'd diagram these sentences. I wish I would have learned better. But you'd diagram these sentences because the sentence has got to have a verb. It's got to have a verb. So, what is the verb of these three of the first three verses, and you'll find it in verse 3. It says, we proclaim. We proclaim. That is the verb. It tells us that the verb of the sense, we proclaim, is the main focus. It is about the gospel. The importance of this prologue of John's epistle is saying that the most important thing is that we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is most important in your life, folks, is that you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And John is trying to get that point across to everybody. I want you, he says, I want you to understand the gospel. So let's look at this. John, uh, Paul in, in Romans 1, 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That means that for all the world, there is but one gospel. 
It's for all people of all ethnicities and all nationalities. Male and female, it's for all people. There's but one gospel. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Just one gospel. So John, in his opening statement, begins in his combating the heretical teachings of the Gnostics, who taught and openly denied the doctrine of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The word incarnation means that God became man. That's, simple, that's as simple as I can put it. God, who is infinite and eternal, became man. God, who is creator, was born of a woman. It's hard for the mind to imagine it. Years and years and years ago, in my pre-Christian days, there was an article in a magazine, a magazine that you would not want to read today, but it was an article in a magazine, and this one lady, it was was a questions questions and answers to the editor, and she put in this, she put in this, her question, she says, I am pregnant, but I have never been intimate with a man. Is this possible? And the response was, one word, guess what? No. But folks, it happened. One time in history, it happened. A lady named Mary was visited by an angel from glory and said, you're going to conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit and you will bear a son, you will give birth to a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will deliver his people, his people from their sins. And the people he delivered are yuns. All of you who put their trust in Jesus Christ, he delivered you. 2,000 years ago this happened, but he delivered you today. The Gnostics did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They said Jesus and the Christ are two different people. That, that Christ came into Jesus sometime after his baptism, during the baptism. And he left him sometime before the crucifixion. So if Jesus is not the Messiah who came from glory, if he is not the one who lived a sinless life, if he is not the one who died on the cross, if he's not the one who was buried in a tomb and, and rose again from the dead, if that is not the truth, if that's not true, if none of that is true, if Jesus was not, if Jesus was not the Christ, then you and I are without any hope in this world. To deny the incarnation, that is that God became man, to deny that, to deny that is an, is an essential error in Christian doctrine. This is what John says in 1 John 2, Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. Listen, folks, that is the Antichrist, he says. The one who denies the Father and the Son. When you deny Jesus, you also deny the Father. Because it is the Father who sent him. It is the Father who, who had, had, the, the, had preordained 
that Jesus come here. He had, he had the foreknowledge, not of what Jesus was going to do, but by foreknowledge that he knew and planned for and determined and his, by his sovereign will sent his son to this world to be our Savior. So then, in John's opening verse, we have this, this personal witness. And not just John, but other disciples as well. He says, we heard, we seen, we looked at, we touched. That is personal to them. He says, we, Yuns didn't do that, I didn't do that, but they did that. We heard, we seen, we looked at, we touched. We those first disciples, we did that. They, they put their hands on him. They touched him. This is their witness as to what was experienced in their lives. So, folks, listen. They experienced it. They proclaimed it. And now we are to be participants in proclaiming the fact that Jesus Christ is God. We are to proclaim it. I am not a witness of those things. I'm not, neither are you, unless you're over 2,000 years old. <laughs> I know, it says, man, you look like a million, though. <laughs> when, when we come to verse 2, we come to verse 2, it answers the how of verse 1. How was the word heard? How was it seen? How was it touched? And so on and so forth. How did that, how was that? Notice, the, the first portion of verse 2, it reads, and the life was manifested. You see that in verse 2? And the life was manifested. That is, what at one time was invisible, what at one time was pre-incarnate, has now become visible and incarnate. Folks, listen. John is speaking of the first advent of Jesus. The first advent of Jesus. You know what we call that? Christmas. The first advent of Jesus is what we call Christmas. Don't you find it? Don't you find it odd that we live in this world where we celebrate Christmas, but we can't call it Christmas because we're going to offend somebody? But it's Christmas. We have this day on December the twenty-fifth. I don't know if that's the actual day Jesus was born or not. I'm not going to argue that point. I don't know. But that's a day that's set aside where we worship the Lord for His incarnation. And thank him that he came to this world. But the people look at it and say, well, we can say happy holidays. Well, good night, you can say happy holidays about Halloween too, you know. It's Christmas. So I'm offended if you say, well, you know what? Every time I pick up the Bible and read it, I get offended because it tells me that I'm a sinner. I get offended by it. But I keep from reading it. There's a lot of things that I'm offended by. When people say, Pat, you're bald. <laughs> I'm not offended by that. We all, every, name one person that hasn't ever been offended. Are, 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 we, are we that, are we that, uh, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, sensitive. That we have to walk through life without anybody ever saying anything to offend us. Oh, look at Pat running to first base. 
We don't need a stopwatch. We need a calendar. <laughs> We're offended. Well, we all get offended. You know, my, my, my mom and dad, my, my dad's from Sicily. My mother's from Italy, southern Italy. How many times have I heard Italian jokes? You know, so, oh, but now we, we, live in a, we live in such a PC community. Oh, don't offend anybody. You know, the best way not to offend anybody, don't ever say anything. Just, we walk around like zombies. That's, that's probably offensive too. We call it Christmas. John in his gospel says, And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father. Full of grace and truth. Folks, listen. Of all, of all the holidays, Christmas and Easter are so blessed. Because Jesus came into this world at Christmas. And Jesus at Easter proved himself to be God by rising from death. Never to die again. We should be so thankful for Christmas and Easter. We should approach one another. Every person we meet. Because of what Christ did for us. Because when we were sinners, Christ died for us. Realizing that we're sinners. Every person we meet, we should greet them as Christ would greet them. With, with respect and dignity. Every human being should be treated with respect and dignity. Everybody. It just befuddles my mind to think that we, 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 we live in, in a most amazing generation. There is so much technology. It just, you, you, know, you know me, I do not even know how to turn on a computer. If it's not in a book, I'm not going to read it. It has to be in a book. I do, I do not know how to type. I use a biblical method for typing. Seeking you shall find. <laughs> everything, I, everything I do is written, is handwritten. Everything that I read is from a book. I don't know how to use a computer or a laptop. And I do not use a cell phone. I can text and I can call somebody, and that's about it. But I know, but I know in my heart that Jesus Christ is God. That he was born of a virgin, he died. After living a sinless, perfect life, he died on a cross. He was buried in a tomb, and he rose again on the third day. In my heart of hearts, I believe that. So we come to verse 3. We notice here, as it was stated earlier, the, the, the verb 
is to proclaim, we proclaim. Now, the choice for we Christians becomes very clear at this point. As, as one writer put it, and this is not a verbatim, but he, this is what he says, either we evangelize what we have encountered or we monopolize what we've encountered. Either, either one of the two. Either we evangelize it or we monopolize it. When we monopolize something, we become like the Dead Sea. We bring in all this, we bring in all this stuff into us, but nothing flows out of us. When you become a Christian, when you become a Christian, folks, you are to be a fountain, a fountain of, of, of living water flowing from you. But some of us, when we become Christian, we receive, but we don't give out. Express your faith. You say, well, if I do that, people are going to say this and that about me. Let me tell you something. What are they going to do to you? Are they going to take away your birthday? What are they going to do? Express your faith. This is who I am. I'm a believer that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And at my age, I wouldn't mind if they took away a few birthdays. Listen, the worship service, the worship service that we have, and we're, we're coming to close here. When we have worship service, it, it ought to be, it ought to be the, the primary place to some people, to some people. It becomes the primary place where evangelism takes place. That's not correct. This is not the primary place where worship, for evangelism take place. You know, listen. It is the people who are of the world that need to hear. The, the lost don't occupy the seats in the house of God. They are found in the streets of this world. When we come here, we teach God's word. We preach God's word. But real evangelism takes place when he says we proclaim. He's not proclaiming just to Christian people. He's proclaiming to people who are lost, who need to meet Jesus because he loves them and he wants to see them spend eternity in glory. All of them together. Whatever, whoever you are, male or female, whatever color, ethnicity, nationality, tribe, tongue, nation, whatever. He wants all those people to hear the message to come together in the kingdom of God, in the glory of God, and be a part of God's heaven. That's what he's wanting. I may not, and you may not, be a witness of the actual experience. We, we, cannot, we cannot testify as to what Jesus, the real, what the real Jesus did. We can read about it and say that, but we can't testify because we were not there. But we can proclaim it. We can proclaim it. What, what's the difference? To testify is to give information that is based on a person's own experiences. I don't have that experience that John had. That is, we heard, we seen, so on and so forth. But to proclaim, which is our responsibility, is to give information based upon the authority given us by a commission. Jesus tells us, everybody, whatever generation, whatever, whoever you are, Jesus says, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
But then listen, you too can speak by testimony to some things, maybe not by empirical evidence, but you can share some things by testimony. You can, you can give witnesses to what Christ has done in your life. John Newton in 1772 wrote out his testimony. And he wrote that in 1772, and we still remember it today. And John, John Newton wrote this. It was, it, was, it was later put to music, but he, he wrote these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine. Was blind, but now I see. That's his testimony. Another word, and we're coming to an end here. Another word in verse 3 is the word fellowship. John writes, so that you may have fellowship with us. The word in the Greek for fellowship is koinonia, to share what is in common. So what do we have in common with each other? My friends, what do we have in common with each other? We're we're, we're a diversity of nationalities. What is in common? Three things. The grace of God. Number two, salvation through Jesus Christ. And three, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What you have there is the work of the Trinity in your life, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we think of fellowship, sometimes we think of Grandma's casserole and peach cobbler. That's not fellowship. That's food. Fellowship is coming together under the grace of God, knowing that we've been saved through Jesus Christ and we're filled full with the Holy Spirit of God. And then finally, he says in verse 4, he says in verse 4, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This verse is about joy. How do we get joy in our lives? Notice the progression of thought in these verses. First, we have the fellowship that comes by being with other believers. I mean, we have the preaching of the gospel. First, we have the preaching of the gospel. Second, we have the fellowship that comes from being with other believers. And third, when proclamation leading to salvation and fellowship of the, and through the Holy Spirit, when that happens through the Holy Spirit of God, when that all comes together, when, now, when we all come together because God's grace and, this, and the work of Jesus Christ and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, when, when that all comes together and we come together as God's people, we are, one, we are one in Christ. We have joy. The greatest joy of my life is to be with God's people. The greatest joy in my life, just to be with God's people. I get excited for Sundays and even Wednesdays when we meet here because I can be with God's people. Let's pray. Lord, we're reminded that what your apostle wrote. He said that our joy may be made complete. And Father, we are made complete in you. Thank you for Jesus, Lord. Jesus, who is the son of the living God. born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life, died bearing our sins and the Father's wrath, was buried, but rose again on the third day. Father, that's the good news of Jesus. And Father, by grace, through faith, and because of Jesus, Father, we can have the certainty we have life with you. Lord, bless this day. Bless what you're about to do in this time of response. May your perfect will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.